We love each other. I love you guys. You're all a tremendous blessing. Next thing, you have completely earned this. 100% earned this. Now, here's the deal. Nobody has more heart than this group. Nobody we're going to play has worked harder, is more prepared, has more heart, has more cojones. Not a one person. Not a one team. All right? Hey, man, get back. Sorry. All right? Now, here's the gig. All right? We don't have any team meetings, but we do have three more left. When we pop champagne after the division series, when we pop champagne after the championship series, and when we pop champagne at the World Series. You're listening to episode 47 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex. I'm Tara. The Cardinals held off the Brewers, and finally, it's time to fly? Hey everybody, welcome once again to Chirps. This is the first official postseason edition of the show as the Cardinals are getting set to take on Atlanta in the NLDS after a stressful, tumultuous week that led up to finally on game 162, clinching the NL Central crown. I'm Tara. As usual, with me is Alex, also as usual. And uh, right now, just so you know the timing, we are watching the first of two wildcard games with the Milwaukee Brewers that the Cardinals held off with a little help. We'll talk about that in a minute against the Washington Nationals in search of that elusive postseason win. So if we react or if we hesitate, it's probably because the game's on in the background as it usually is. It's just not the Cardinals playing this time. Um, Alex, postseason baseball, first of all, it feels like we just started this roller coaster, so I can't believe we're here talking about the postseason. But also, have you been able to like take in what happened with the Cardinals in the last week? Because it was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, real quick, if, if the Nats win this game, are we counting this as a series, uh, a playoff series win? Because I am not. I don't. I can't. I'm not speaking for the masses, only for myself. But I am not counting it as a playoff series win. It's such a weird thing because technically, yes, but it's also not a series. It's a single game. So it's like a, a they won a round of the postseason, but it's not actually a, a series. So I don't know what you call that. We'll give them a good job. I there think. you go. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't been able to take it all in, partly because I was in Nashville last weekend for the entire Cubs series, and I missed pretty much all of it, but for following it on my phone and uh, – this, the game on Saturday night when they kind of looked like they had a chance in later innings to make something interesting happen and then they kind of threw it all away. I, I was kind of watching that from some honky-tonk bar in Nashville uh, while also like uh, listening to old Merle Haggard songs and stuff. So basically I missed all of it. Uh, it was nice to see the game on Sunday feel very stress-free uh, by about the second inning. So that was good. And, I, you know, I'm just really happy that they won the division. I don't really care how they got here. I'm happy they won it. it. You know, the baseball season is a grind. And just being the last one standing in your division, regardless of what's going to happen from this day going forward in the next month, this is a huge accomplishment. And 
so I, I'm just happy, you know, 162 games. Baseball probably doesn't crown a true champion every year. Like, like perhaps I feel, you know, like the NBA, you always feel like the best team always wins in the NBA. Yeah. Um, baseball is not always like that. Although lately, a lot of very good teams have won. Uh, baseball can be more random in the playoffs. And actually, that's good for the Cardinals this year because they're not the <laughs> best team. Uh, but, you know, the the regular season is such a rewarding thing. You know, it gives you entertainment every night. So it's so nice to have your team be the last one standing for the division. And I'm just happy. It also feels a little bit more... Don't get me wrong. The World Series is incredible. And if you get to that point and you win that title, I mean, it's it's huge and it's massive. And it's one of the coolest things to experience as a fan of a sports team because it's so hard to do. But the chance to win the division, I feel like more often than not, your closest rivalries are in the division, right? right. So there's a different sort of satisfaction in beating those teams that are your constant rivals as opposed to some random American League team that you may never ever see again except for the once in however long it is you until you play them in, in interleague play or whatever. So it feels like there's a different level of significance for me in winning a division title than in you know whatever other segment of the postseason you win just because there's that intense rivalry with those other teams and the fan bases that you know and the the history and all of that that goes into it. And for the Cardinals this year, it felt like that was a really significant piece of this because they haven't been the 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 top team in the division and there's sort of been this undercurrent that you know and in the division really saw them as a, a significant threat. I mean even even coming out of the series where they swept the Cubs at Wrigley, there were Cubs fans saying, like, I still don't think they're very good. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it just, it's a, a different feel as a Cardinals fan than in, you know, a lot of the last decade or so. And to kind of regain a little bit of status felt really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, they can say what they want. The Cardinals earned this. They, finished the season with a winning record against every other team in the NL Central. You know, so yeah. I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. Yeah, they only won 91 games, uh, which isn't dominant by any stretch. But, you know, they were in one of the... I don't know if the NL Central turned out to be as tough as we thought it was going to be, perhaps, heading into the season. But until, I, you know, Pittsburgh was kind of a disaster, I guess, the last four to six weeks. But other than that, it was pretty competitive. It was a pretty competitive division. So, you know, it wasn't like if you, if you think of the AL central where you have two 100 lost teams uh, to beat up on, because you're going to, you know, play them a combined 38 times. That's how the twins ended up with a hundred wins. You, and you have the white Sox who are by no means uh, a world beater or anything like that. So the Cardinals should feel very, very good at the, feel very, very good about this. and I, I certainly do. It's it's great. It's like you said, they they beat the teams who were in front of them. And th- that's what they needed yeah. to do. And that's what they did. Is there any sort of leftover feeling that, I mean, we keep talking about they earned it. And they absolutely did. They had to sort of scratch and claw for a lot of those wins in the second half, even when they were making that run that propelled them to the eventual title. But they did sort of depend on the Colorado Rockies to stop the Brewers in their tracks. And 
that ended up being part of the equation that led them to being able to clinch the division on their own on Sunday, the final day of the regular season. Do you, is there any part of you that kind of feels like, well, thanks to the Rockies, they won as opposed to just that overall, man, they earned this title outright, which they did. And everyone has to play the same number of games, but it, it still, they clearly benefited from the Brewers facing an opponent that could finally actually win a few games. Yeah. Um, Maybe, certainly the game on Saturday night, Story hitting the home run off Hader. Uh, and as I understand it, there were two outs. Is that right? To send the game into extra yeah. innings. Like that felt kind of lucky yeah. uh, because we all know Hader's a pretty dominant relief pitcher and that doesn't happen very often, uh, even at a place like Coors Field. But we're still talking about a team that finished the season, I believe, with a plus three run differential. You know, the, yeah. the Cardinals are a better team than the Milwaukee Brewers. You can make a decent argument. Uh, I don't know if I'd be the one to make this argument, but someone certainly could make a valid argument that the Cubs are a lot better team than the Milwaukee Brewers. I think by, you know, by certain metrics, people thought the Cubs probably should have won like six or seven more games than the Brewers just based on run differential alone. Um, you know, all the other like base runs record, things like that. So I... I to the question of like, did the Cardinals back into this? I don't feel that way. I mean, the Brewers were not going to win 20 games in a row to close out the season. That had to end at some point. And, you know, we all, we all know what a nightmare course field is. <laughs> that seemed like a perfect place for it to end, right? You know, especially with their yeah. best player, arguably the best player in the National League, uh, banged up for the last two or three weeks of that stretch run they had. Uh, that had to come to an end eventually. Uh and so, no, I don't, I don't feel like, you know, we really benefited from the Rockies at all. If anything, it, it just made it like, if anything, it shouldn't even had, had to come down to that. You know, it should have already been over before yeah. the Brewers had to face the Rockies because, you know, they went through a stretch where they, what, basically went like 16 and two over 18 games. Yeah. You know, if they had gone 13 and five or uh, 12 and six over those games, which is a outstanding record, it's over. You know, you know, so it was just kind of fluky. You know, they had a, to their credit, they played some bad teams and they beat up on them just like good teams are supposed to do. But no, I, I feel, I I feel pretty good about it. And I, yeah, I absolutely do feel thankful to the Rockies. They did their part and I will like them, but uh, I do think the right champion was crowned, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you play all 162 games, right? It doesn't, it's not about the last three games of the season. It's about the the total overall. So it did feel to me like this was a team that, like I said, had to claw for every possible advantage because they don't have the perfect team. They don't have the most complete roster. They don't have, quite honestly, I don't know that we've seen this team really firing on all cylinders, if you will, at any point during the season, even in August when it felt like they were not ever going to lose a game because we still weren't seeing the MVP version of Paul Goldschmidt and we weren't seeing him and Ozuna and Matt Carpenter all hot at the same time. It's It's been a different guy at every point in the season that's carried them. And maybe that's why I know you brought this up earlier when we were talking about what do we, how do we want to go about talking about this week for this show? I mean, is there something that stands out above the rest? Because it feels like 
an imperfect team did just enough to get where it wanted to go. But I don't know what, what does stand out because there, there isn't, you know, the MVP guy, unless maybe we're talking about Jack Flaherty. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> got to be Flaherty, right? Yeah. You know, if, if Arietta hadn't had that second half, what was that, 2015? So four seasons yeah. ago, this might be getting even more play than it already is. Maybe it's been uh, depressed a little bit just for the fact that we've seen something almost as remarkable, if not more remarkable, as recently as, as four, four years ago. But Flaherty has to be like the unsung hero of this of this second half, you know, where you just seem like you give the ball to him every five days and you are probably going to win the game. The uh, Or you're at least probably going to have a chance. Maybe you don't score runs, but yeah, he's going to give no, you a chance. <laughs> that, that is a good point. And, you know, there are other things too. Like if you, John LaRue wrote a pretty, wrote a very good column at Viva Alberta. It was about Paul Goldschmidt basically in the last couple of months of the season. And if you look at his stats from like you look at just his basic stats uh from the all-star game forward they're pretty close to being paul goldschmidt like yeah. you know he, he's uh i, I want to say well now i'm forgetting because i don't i don't have it right in front of me and i wasn't smart enough to write it down but i want to say you know it, like a 350 on base like a 540 slugging uh you know that's that's very much like paul goldschmidt or at least pretty close to it in terms of what we were hoping to get from him Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung turned out to be perhaps the best middle infield in baseball. Is that yeah. is that a ridiculous thing to say? I mean, quite honestly, I don't watch another team as much. So just from you know the the pure yeah. visual, I don't what either. do I take from yeah. this? I I can't really answer that. But everything statistically that you can find, I mean, the two of them have been phenomenal, and I think the pitching has benefited from that as much as, you know, they've turned into, I was talking about this the other day, they've turned into the run prevention team again, as opposed to the run scoring team, which is fine, but I don't know how that's, I don't know if that's how we would have described them at the start of the season. And a lot of that does have to do with the defense up the middle of Colton Wong and Paul DeYoung and to some degree Harrison Bader. Yeah. And I also think the Cardinals did benefit from the Cubs uh, window of dominance kind of closing at least a few seasons sooner than I expected. Yeah. I, I thought after 2016 that they, and we've talked about this before, but they were basically going to be what the Dodgers are right now. And, yeah. and that hasn't happened. And it's basically turmoil over there. Uh, I'm going to talk about that later with the chirp of the week, sort of uh, just the managerial uh, situation. But so we, we perhaps benefited from the Cubs, uh, I guess coming back down to earth sooner than we all thought they would, but you know, I'm I'm not giving giving back the division title. <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah. keep it. Um, on the flip side, one of the things that I think was the most concerning to me in this last week is the bullpen because for so much of the year, the bullpen has been the thing. Well, and and. For the first half, pretty much entirely, the bullpen is the thing that let the Cardinals survive and stick around and be close enough to this race to make a push because we talked about it through the entire first half. The starting pitching was kind of scary because it was 
really unpredictable right. and no one was going deep into games and it was putting a lot of weight on a bullpen that we weren't entirely sure of in and of itself. So the bullpen carried a lot of weight early. We've seen the effects of that in some guys like John Gant not being available or, or not being good <laughs> enough to be available late in the season, which is a shame after the phenomenal first half plus he had. But we also saw this bullpen give up seven runs in an individual inning in back-to-back games in the last week of the season. That is terrifying. (laughs) So when we look at what made a difference this last week, I mean, that's one of the things that they could have had really two more wins, and then it wouldn't have come down to the last day if the bullpen had done what it has done most of the year. When we move forward a little bit and start looking at the NLDS, starts on Thursday, um, Miles Michaelis will get the ball in game one. We can talk about that in a minute, but does the bullpen concern you or do you feel like from Sunday to Thursday off, they should be back to pretty well reset? Certainly helps, right? Or it feels yeah. like it should, or it's, you know, you want to avoid that wild card game for obvious reasons. Uh, but the bullpen rest that you just brought up seems like a big advantage for a team that, I don't know, the pen looked like it was starting to fade a bit down the stretch. You know, it's interesting. For some reason I had in my head that the Cardinals would have been in the top third in the National League um, in innings pitched by their uh, bullpen. And that that wasn't true at all. They were actually uh, in the bottom half. They were ninth in the National League. that said, Gallegos and Brebbia both are in the top eight for innings pitch for relief pitchers. I think Gallegos threw about 74 innings this year and Brebbia 72. So, And not surprisingly, those are two guys that faltered in the last <laughs> Right. <week. laughs> so, you know, they have a lot of mileage on, on their top guys. Uh, it, it is concerning. You know, bullpens are so hard to even almost talk about, right? Because it's so easy yeah. to just fall back and, well, it's a bullpen, they're, you know they're fluid, you know, they can look brilliant one night and then just give you uh, major anxiety the next night. With regard to the other teams in the National League, with an exception of probably the Dodgers, I feel pretty good about our bullpen. I, I think, you know, I, I probably wouldn't trade it within our team but for the Dodgers. Uh, Carlos Martinez, you know, has looked awesome at times. Andrew Miller is probably the one I'm a little nervous about. He has been, I don't, what, it, what has been your take on Andrew Miller? Because there are times when he comes in, he's throwing that slider and it's just like, you know, this guy's unhittable. And, and if it's on, then, yeah. then he, th- that game that he closed out, I don't even remember what game it was in this run. That I think he closed out right. because I think Carlos was unavailable because he had just pitched yeah. uh, several games in a row. Uh, maybe I'm just making this off my head. I, I don't even know. I feel like I've watched. A, no, uh, no, he okay, did. Yeah. He did close and out. That was, the, that was the appearance. He looked really good, right? Yeah. Okay. And then there's other times he's just walking too many batters. And so I don't, I don't feel great about him right now. But I, 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 it's so hard to say because not only are bullpens weird, they're extra weird in the postseason because we know they're going to be relied on so much. Uh, I forget what I was listening to today. They brought up the example of Joe Kelly. How, you know, Joe Kelly's good. He's always been fine. But he was lights out for the Red Sox last year, enough to use that as a springboard to get him a huge contract yeah. with, uh, with the Dodgers. And then it, that hasn't necessarily turned out all that great. So 
you know, weird things can happen in a couple of weeks of baseball, especially when it comes to the bullpen. I feel no reason to be alarmed about our pen, even with like what you said, it seemed to be fading down a stretch. I think we're in better shape than most, but you know, we'll see. Do you? That's a very we, bad answer. I realize. I'm just like I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's. I mean, that's how bullpens are, right? But I, I'm going to ask you a follow up question that yeah. may, may result in the same answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway uh, because I think it's an interesting part of this. We spent a ton of time the last couple of years talking about how the Cardinals bullpen was used and how it was used poorly and how the decisions seemed to be infuriatingly obvious <laughs> in their inevitable failure. There's been a lot of talk about that in the last stretch here, particularly when the bullpen wasn't wasn't performing up to those expectations. But Mike Schilt has done this with position players. He's done it with the lineup. He's continuing to do it with the bullpen, where there's a lot of there's a lot of value placed on the entire body of work or the the you know, long-term performance as opposed to what's happening in the moment. And more often than not this season, that has eventually worked out in his favor. I I just am wondering if that same philosophy is too risky for bullpens compared to doing that with, say, Marcelo Zuna staying in the lineup or Paul DeYoung staying in the lineup or Harrison Bader staying in the lineup because there's so much on the line at that point. If you let John Gant walk four guys in a row or whatever it is, you know, like everyone can see that coming as opposed to maybe you don't see it coming when Harrison Bader hits a home run or doesn't, whatever. Does it, is it, does the same philosophy seem a little bit more of a risk when you apply it to the bullpen? Because we spent so much time talking about that the last couple of years. And as a whole, I like what Mike Schultz has done with this team, but there are some moments where that bullpen situation just seems a little bit like a stretch. Yes. So I'm thinking back to a few weeks ago when maybe even just a week ago when Schilt gave a kind of a quote about John Gant, um, basically in response to a question, maybe from Jeff Jones. I don't know. I think it was, I think it was, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I know the quote you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. He basically said something to the effect of, have you seen how good his stats has? how good his stats have been this year and on the one hand that's kind of like you know mike what are you doing that's a that we don't care about what if stats have been (laughs) necessarily you know back in april and may we care about how he looks lately because that's all we care about going forward and he hasn't looked good lately on the other hand though schilt does seem like that guy who is not has no problems just sticking up for his guys in a post game, whether or not that's actually what he's thinking uh, inside. Yeah. I don't want to judge too much on how he he may on what he may have done in the regular season versus what he might do in the postseason because we all know, especially when it comes to the postseason, that relief pitchers are a different animal. It's yeah. not you know every game is not all hands on deck, but it's certainly a lot closer to that than it is in the regular season. So I, I expect she'll not to stay too long with whether it's like the situation with Wainwright that we saw from what I read about with the Cubs, uh, the Cubs game on Saturday or picking the wrong guy to, uh, to try and close out a game. Like I'm not too worried about that. I feel like it's so in vogue now to be ultra aggressive with your bullpen in the postseason for, for good reason. Uh, 
I, in fact, I heard people talking about that this is probably the year that bullpens are probably going to throw more innings in the postseason than starters. I don't think that's happened before. Uh, I think that was on Effectively Wild they were talking about that. So I would think Schill is going to fall in line with that sort of thinking. But we'll see. I, I don't know. The, uh, you were watching the game on Saturday, right? Yes. How, how cooked did Wainwright look? Um, leading up to when Schill finally gave him the hook? Like, was it obvious he needed to be taken out of the game? Um, I, I obviously I saw, like, by the time he was out, he had given up six runs. But, you know, in this day and age when, you know, home runs are flying out of the park, six runs can happen awfully fast. Yeah, and it was four home runs. So okay. it was – so it wasn't like – he was just tired and didn't have anything left. It was just that he obviously didn't have there. There was an obvious flaw, right? And everything, every breaking ball was staying up and he couldn't locate the fastball. So it was by the, by the third home run, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't doing what he had done thus far in the month where he had like a sub one ERA or whatever it was. So he hadn't given up home runs in like a month and a half or something. Anyway, something crazy, multiple home runs in a game. So by the third Uh one, it was pretty obvious that Uh he didn't, not that he was too tired to continue, but that he just wasn't able to make the adjustment. So I don't know that I would have, I mean, I wasn't like enraged that he didn't come out before that because, um, you would like to think that the the Cardinals could have put some runs on the board pretty quickly thereafter. They just didn't. But yeah, I think it's been interesting to see Mike Schultz be aggressive more and more when it absolutely mattered. And obviously that game, I'm not sure it applies, but he also didn't send Adam Wainwright back out there. Um, you know, just kind of let him hang and figure it out and eat up some innings like he's done before as well. So yeah, yeah, I, I do think I expect him to go the aggressive route. I just think it will be interesting to see how and when he deploys guys like John Gant, if he is in fact on the roster, like Andrew Miller, and how he tries to kind of limit, similar to what he did with Michael Waka as a starter, kind of protect his success by not pushing him beyond a certain limit. I feel like he should do the same thing with Andrew Miller. One thing that I've noticed is that he he often will send him back out there at the start of a second inning, maybe to get one or two lefties or whatever it is at the at the beginning of an inning. That doesn't usually work out well. So, you know, maybe kind of just limiting his role. We saw today that um, Genesis Cabrera was told that he will be on the roster. So he'll have that lefty as an option. The the left side is going to be interesting against the Braves. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that because they do have um, some strong left-handed hitters and the matchups there will be interesting. But I expect him to be the aggressive version of Mike Schilt. But how and when he uses some of those guys that at this point look like they will be on the roster. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting because this is the first time he gets to do that too, right? He, we don't know what he's going to do, how he's going to adapt, if anything will change in the postseason because he's never done it before. Right. And I, I was going to say, barring a performance where it looks like either Michaelis Wainwright or Hudson are just absolutely in a zone, I don't really need to see any of them pitch to a team the third time through the order, I think. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and, and I think that's not exactly a huge, bold take in the playoffs these days. But No, if it's Jack Flaherty, different story. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, how do you feel about this matchup with the Braves and the Cardinals? 
it's again, we talked about it. The Cardinals are not the most talented team. I think if you just talked about pure talent, you may tip the hand in favor of the Braves in this series, but they have beat the Braves a couple of times this year. The Braves are a little banged up right now. Their stars are not um, at 100%. It's Miles Michaelis versus Dallas Keuchel in game one, which is super interesting to me because that's a guy that we've talked about for so long. We spent so much time saying, hey, he's still hanging out waiting for someone to just give him money. You should probably do that. And now they're facing him in game one of the division series. Um, I don't know. How, how do you feel about the Cardinals versus the Braves, which has some history, but it's been a while. Well, let me ask you if this is a dumb thing to say. We talked about earlier how the baseball season is a total grind. Does forget the stats. I guess just for a quick second, but does Dallas Keiko kind of have a nice advantage because he's only thrown like 110 <laughs> innings all season because his season didn't start until mid June is, uh, is this now like kind of a, Hey, this isn't fair. Like all of our guys, <laughs> you know, have close to dead arms and this guy's, you know, fresh, like it's the beginning of uh, August or something. Uh, does that sound dumb? Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's not uh, the dumbest thing you've heard, right? Like that could no, be. No, it's not. I, the, I think it can go either way, right? And I, I don't know that Dallas Keuchel has been, you know, the the flawless ace of the staff kind of guy. He's that, been good. Um, he's he been has the fine. potential to be, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he's. But, I mean, we also saw Craig Kimbrell, who t- didn't have that many innings and was terrible. So I don't think it just is like a straight up advantage, but it could no. be if you're talking about guys that are wearing down or, or just don't have as much to get. I, I don't know that I would say that's where any of the Cardinal starters are right now. I think there are, you know, question marks. There are ways things can go wrong fairly quickly, but I don't know if it's because they've pitched too many innings. Maybe that's an advantage of, <laughs> of none of them going deep into games in the first half. I don't know. Yeah. But, so I don't know that it's a, a, a an automatic advantage, but it certainly doesn't hurt that he isn't worried about, you know, the condition of his arm at this point. The advantage, I think that would scare me. Uh, maybe not scare me, but just the fact that, you know, Keiko is, uh, he's not the, he's not the uh, quintessential 2019 starting pitcher. I mean, he's just not like striking out 25% of batters yeah. and just pumping fastball. You know, he throws a lot of sinkers, which, you know, pitchers aren't throwing as many sinkers anymore, you know, and he's, he's now throwing his cutter a lot and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if that's a sign that he's kind of reaching back and starting to throw as much kind of junk as possible. Uh, but it, it worked to a relatively decent degree in the 110 innings he pitched with Atlanta. He wasn't like he was in 2015. I think it was 2015 when he won the Cy Young, but he was, he was good. He, he felt like a, uh, a, a picture that the Cardinals could have benefited from having um, for a lot of the season. So I, I don't know. You know, the the Braves certainly don't scare me like the Dodgers would probably scare me. I will say that. And we have been just as good, if not better, than the Braves from the All-Star break on. So the absolutely the first part of the season counts. But when it comes to who's better now, I'm, I'm, I really don't feel like the Braves are a step above us like I do with the Dodgers. Yeah. And, and again, there's a nut, that's just another reason why, thank God, we didn't get that wild card game. Thank God <laughs> yes. we're not playing right now. I don't know how we would have done that. I guess we would have 
done the podcast after this game because we certainly wouldn't have been doing it during the game. Yeah, um, I don't think we would have been able to no, that, pull that off. <laughs> that, would have, that would have been a nightmare, maybe. Uh, there would have been very little talking that made yeah, any sense. <laughs> right. So what was I talking about? I was talking about the Braves. Yeah, I feel good going into this series, I have to say. You know, especially the fact that we're going to get Jack Flaherty twice. Yeah. I mean, the possibility of Jack Flaherty twice. And so you almost just feel like if you can just win one of those other three games, we have a very good chance at this series. Yeah. The, The Braves won 97 games this year. The Cardinals won 91. At one point in the middle of the second half, maybe, I don't remember when it actually happened, there was this weird race between the Braves and the Dodgers for the best record in the National League. And then clearly... Uh, the Dodgers um, took charge in that race. So, yeah, I think that the the Braves lost their, their last three games of the season. The Cardinals managed to win their last game, riding a little bit of a high there with the, the clinch on the very last day. So there's that if you buy into any sort of momentum. But with the time off, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. The Cardinals, <laughs> the Cardinals have not been very good in games following an off day. I think they've won like four games all year uh, after an off day. So we'll see what they do with, you know, four plus off days and, and, and how they manage there. But you're right. I think it's a, it's a series that to me feels like if you just think, oh, the Cardinals in 2019 against the Braves in 2019, clearly the Braves are the better team. But then you start looking at it even on paper and what's gone on for both of those teams, particularly in the second half. And I don't know that that's the case. So it's going to be an interesting series. There are some matchups that I think are going to be a little bit tricky for the Cardinals with all those lefties. Um, But I mean, you talk about Dallas Keuchel is not the, the high strikeout kind of guy. The matchup in game one is, is, fairly similar, right? Because Miles Michaelis isn't the high strikeout guy either. He's going to, they're going to be a lot of balls on the ground and um, you know, anything that they miss over the middle of the plate, it's probably going to get hit a long way by either team. I think the outburst of offense in the game on Sunday for the Cardinals was a good thing just to let everybody take a breath and not feel like they're pressing so much to, uh, to put runs on the board. But that to me is more a concern than uh, than the pitching at this point, which may just be, um, you know, being a, a bit of a slave to the moment and feeling like that's been the the bigger issue. So I don't know. I, Dallas Keuchel is not the toughest pitcher the Cardinals have faced this year, but they've also, you know, Fulton just absolutely carved them up the last time they saw him mm-hmm. so I don't know it's a it's a series that feels a little bit hard to predict because of the dramatic swings these two teams have taken one way or the other and and you know some t- in to some degree health is a factor um but we could say the same thing for the Cardinals right if Colton Wong is healthy and I just saw a, a video interview with him saying he's 100% he talked to the manager he's going to be good to go in game one we'll see what actually happens there and yeah. how I feel he's like able. he always thinks he's 100% yeah he, he, that's true uh I think he was trying to get in the game the day after the injury <laughs> initially um so we'll we'll see what happens there everybody's dealing with some sort of injury at this point I think and kind of just have to work around that that's where Mike Schilt comes in and trying to put the right pieces together and I don't know I feel like maybe this is being a little bit naive uh and and too optimistic but I feel like winning the division was almost harder in the sense of the pressure attached to it than 
what the Cardinals are going to face in, in at least this series with the Braves, because there was, it was so hard just to get to that point. And so many people along the way, including us at times through the season on this show, kind of had thrown our hands up in the air and said, well, they're just, they're boring and they're not fun and they're not really that good. <laughs> and I, I, so I, I almost feel like, the whole season. Uh huh. Sure. Yeah. That's that's we. <laughs> the thing about podcasts is that we can go back and listen to the old ones. Um. By the way, if you have forgotten the predictions at the beginning of the season, I predicted ninety three wins. Alex predicted ninety one. So we were on the right track. Um, you, you know what's funny though is you predicted the Brewers winning the division. It's I true. I did. And, and I said the Cubs. So uh, we were. Uh, <laughs> We were a little all over the map. Yeah, yeah. Neither of us were real. Neither of us were really right. Yeah, yeah. Although I, th- I yeah. think I said that the Cardinals would be the wild card team to the Brewers winning the division, but maybe I didn't actually say that on the podcast. That's just what I was thinking. I don't really know. But the point is, I felt like it was almost harder for this team to win the division, just in the sense of the pressure attached to it and the the sort of living up to expectations element than it will be going into the series. And I think that might be good for them. Yeah, when you said that the first time uh, a couple minutes ago, I, I thought of just how I went back to the the four game series at Wrigley. Yeah, it, it's hard to imagine even a post a post game uh, a post game a postseason series feeling as uh, anxiety ridden as that one. <laughs> um, and that and that that series basically was, for all intents and purposes, a postseason series. You know, yeah. if they. If they get swept or uh, if they get swept in that series, you know, you never know, but it's hard to imagine they're, they are where they are right now. And, you know, Jack Flaherty going into Wrigley before that series, had not, that place had not been kind to him. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, not a ton of a, a, uh, starts at Wrigley so far in his career, but it had not, he had a lot of bad ones though when he had started there. Right. And for him to show up on that first game and just be completely dominant, I thought was a huge moment where it was just like, okay, this is real. This guy is awesome. Yeah. You know, this is a legitimate number one starting pitcher on the staff. And there's no doubt about it. There's no, there's nothing you can shoehorn in of like, uh, well, you know, on the road, look at, look at what his numbers look like. Or have we seen him pitch in a big game yet where it really, where the stakes are really high? You know, we can check all of those boxes. Yeah. So I thought that series, to your point, was huge. And you're exactly right. Like winning the division, th- that's where all the marbles kind of were. Like that was the goal. And now you kind of just have to reset everything and go forward again. It almost feels like they can take a breath for the first time all season, especially when it comes down to 162. Like you're in it and in that grind that you were talking about all the way through. There's no place to sort of take a breath and and kind of feel like, okay, we did that. We're capable of this. Now let's see what else we can do for that reason though. And it was interesting in that last series where they dropped the first two to the Cubs were kind of hanging out, waiting to see what the Rockies and the Brewers were going to do. And then went all out in the last game and, and really left no doubt about winning that game. I will not be surprised if, however long the Cardinals go in the postseason, if it goes to as many games as is possible (laughs) in the series, because they're not a team that's going to reel off, you know, 
four in a row or, or whatever. It, this seems like a team that's going to win one and you're going to feel good. And then they're going to lose one and you're going to feel terrible. And then they're going to win one. It just feels like a kind of team that might need every last game in order to get where they're trying to go. Um, you know, if they are able to advance through this, this postseason at all. And that is, that gives me a lot of anxiety, but <laughs> um, you know, they got where they wanted to go in the end and, and maybe they'll do that with, with the postseason as well. Yeah. I, a couple uh, weeks ago or a month ago or whenever it was, we discussed whether or not if the Cardinals were to be playing right now, like, had they, instead of won the division, ended up a wild card team. And had they lost that game, had they, if they're playing tonight and they lost, would we be satisfied? Yeah. And I don't even remember how we answered. Uh, I think I probably said, you know, kind of hedged between, you know, yes and no. But I, I will say this, and I, I will pro- I will probably reserve my right to uh, have a completely different opinion a week from now. But I, so I honestly think the Cardinals are going to beat the Braves. I think they're the better team right now. And I think they have a very good chance of winning this series. That said, if they don't beat the Braves, if, uh, if you know, they lose them four, or say they get swept, I still feel very satisfied about this season. They won the division. They're back where we feel like they should be after a few very frustrating years. And it's very hard to complain, at least right now, about the season ending, uh, you know, with them at least being able to say they won the NL Central. Again, I might not feel that way a week from now because similar to what I said about that Cubs series, I can get a little selfish as things move along. And, you know, I I might be like, all right, you know, if you can just get to the NLCS and I'll be satisfied, you know, (laughs) win a series. And, you know, it's hard to feel very, you know, you can't feel upset about losing to the Dodgers. And then, you know, if we're playing the Dodgers, I'm going to be like, well, screw that. Let's win this. (laughs) I mean, that's sort of how – the whole season is gone, right? The season started and mm-hmm. we were like, I don't know if they can be a postseason team. And then all of a sudden, well, the division wasn't quite what we thought it was going to be. And they definitely looked like they were capable of at least a wild card spot. And then it would have been really disappointing if they didn't have a wild card spot. And then it became, oh no, they could actually win the division. It would be really disappointing if they only had a wild card spot. And now it's, well, they won the division going to be disappointing if they don't win a series or whatever so the the more the expectations changed um i think our sort of level of satisfaction changed with it absolutely so they do start the series on thursday it is miles michaelis versus dallas keichel jack flaherty will go in game two that's the extent of what we actually know the rosters have not been announced yet. That may change by the time you listen to this tomorrow. I don't know. People keep asking me when the rosters are going to be announced, and I I don't have an answer to that question. I wish I did, but I don't. So just keep an eye out. I'm sure that much like the Miles Michaelis is starting game one announcement, there will be like 17 consecutive tweets saying the same thing, and then we will all know. But there have been... Uh, some confirmations from different places about Genesis Cabrera. Randy Rosarena will not be on the roster, but he's traveling with the team is what we heard today. Uh, and John Gant, like I said, according to Mark Saxon, will not be on the NLDS roster. Colton Wong announcing of his own accord that he'll be good to go for uh, <laughs> game one. So that's basically all we know heading into this series. But uh, keep an eye out. I know there's stuff coming at Birds on the Black, and there will be plenty plenty of coverage as we get through this series. It's it's the first time 
that uh, that we get to talk about postseason baseball in a while. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's great. I just from watching this Nats Brewers game earlier, I just love the roar of the crowd in postseason. Yeah. It's uh, it's completely different from a regular season game when not only are there that uh, you know many more people in the stadium, but just how much more into it they are than they would be at a regular season game. It's very tough to uh, beat a crowd at postseason baseball. Pretty pretty exciting stuff. Okay, that's all of the talk about the NLDS for now. But Alex, chirp of the week. Yeah, you know, I actually have a few things to uh, talk about before I get to the chirp of the week, um, but it's all going to be very quick. So I feel like I need to do a final update on the batting race ah, yes. um, in the National League. Uh, I started following this. This must have been back in April, uh, I would assume, when um, Paul DeYoung started off season very, very hot. And he was near, uh, like, in the top five batting. Uh, I don't know if you can hear that, but someone is texting me right now, and it's very loud. <laughs> can you hear that beeping I, sound? I, I do hear it, yeah. Yeah, imagine <laughs> how it feels in my ear with headphones on. But anyway, uh, it's not great. Uh, so Paul DeYoung, I was tracking because uh, I wanted to see if he could maybe uh, contend for a batting title, and I just wanted to follow a batting title for old time's sake. Well, Tara... Um, Things didn't turn out too well for our friend Paul DeYoung. Out of 68 qualified hitters in the National League, uh, he ended up 65th in the batting title race <laughs> with a uh, 233 average. I go back to what I said earlier. Like 68 is too few of a number for people who should be qualifying for uh, a batting title. I don't know if you need to lower that 3.1, you know, plate appearances uh, per game or or what, but that just seems like a low number. Uh, so yes, Paul DeYoung and his 233 batting average uh, did not win the NL batting title. That went to uh, Christian Yelich and uh, Marte for the Diamondbacks. Um, I then pivoted to after it looked like DeYoung was slipping. I pivoted to RBIs, and because Marcelo Zuna was sort of near the top with that as well, and he finished with 89, which is you know just to the layman knows that's a much better number than a 233 batting average, uh, and that was good for 21st um, out of however many people uh, you know however many position players in the National League. So so much better showing by Marcelo Zuna, although he was still uh, 37 RBIs uh, behind uh, league leader Anthony Rendon, who finished with 126. Uh, the second thing I want to say real quick, and this is not the trip of the week, but I thought this was cool anyway. Uh, an article caught my eye today. It is by the, a newsletter by Eric Nasbaum. I hope I'm saying that last name correctly. It's called uh, Sports Stories. Uh, and again, it's a newsletter he writes. And it's about the Cleveland Spiders and the St. Louis Perfectos and um, kind of this some, some, uh, something, they, something they had in common, something they shared way back in the day. Um, it's a very interesting article. It's very hard for me to explain exactly what it's about, but I recommend it. But what I wanted to bring up is at the end, it talks about how, well, not necessarily talks about, but it does one of those things where you can kind of take a team from when they began into the present in terms of like who played with who. And then what I mean by that is this, um, he starts off with, Jesse Berg debuted with the Cleveland Spiders in 1898 and was traded along with many of his teammates to St. Louis uh, before the 1899 season. Uh, that's when they were still the perfectos, by the way. But uh, 
Burke played with the Perfectos slash Cardinals through 1905 when he was teammates with Art Holskettler. Holskettler. Holskettler lasted with the Cardinals until 1908, where one of his teammates was Slim Salee, who played with the Cardinals um, with Rogers Hornsby. Roger Hornsby was on the Cardinals for a decade. In his final year as a Cardinal, he played with Jim Bottomley. Sonny Jim was with the Cardinals long enough to play with Joe Mancuso in 1932. And Mancuso was lucky enough to be teammates with a rookie, Stan Musial, in 1941. Now, you can take Stan Musial and stretch all the way to Bob Gibson in 1959. They were teammates then. And then Gibson, you can take all the way to Keith Hernandez in 1975, which is pretty amazing. You can go from Stan Musial to Keith Hernandez um, that quickly. Uh, But anyways, Keith Hernandez was teammates with Ozzie Smith in 1982. And, of course, Ozzie Smith was a Cardinal until 1996. And on that 1996 team, he played with Ray Lankford. Ray Lankford, of course, was a uh, longtime Cardinal, and he played with Albert Pujols in 2001. And Albert Pujols, of course, went on to become teammates with one Yadier Molina. And there we are. We're at the present. And basically only 13 or 14 players. And I always think that's a uh, cool thing to do with, uh, with franchises. Uh, I think it, it's, it's a very fun one to do with the Cardinals because we've had so many players throughout history that have stuck with the team for, you know, a very long time that you can go, that you can cover basically 120 years in only 13 guys. And so uh, th- that is a very That's fun cool. thing to do. Yeah. And again, the article is called Spiders and Perfectos and it's by Eric Nasbaum. I, uh, I highly recommend it. Um, but here's the chirp of the week, Tara. Um, as you may know, I am a fan of the Chicago Bears football team. Uh, in spite of the fact that I support the St. Louis baseball team, I grew up in an area where the Bears were still the preferred football team. And the Bears' main rival is the Green Bay Packers. And the worst part about this rivalry from the perspective of a Bears fan is basically since 1992, the Packers have had two quarterbacks, and that's been Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And it's basically been a running joke among Bears fans of how many quarterbacks we have had in that time where the Packers have had just two. Uh, we're talking names like Moses Moreno, uh, Craig Krenzel, uh, even former, former Cardinal Chad Hutchinson. Uh, <laughs> Hutchinson was a, uh, was a Chicago Bears quarterback. You know, it doesn't get more random than that. Um, I, I forget what the number is, but you'd be shocked how many quarterbacks the Cardinal, the Bears have had in a time when the Packers have basically had two. Well, I was thinking about this in light of the fact of the Cubs letting go of Joe Madden. You know, they did not renew his contract. He was basically a lame duck this year. He wasn't fired, but he was basically fired. It's pretty much the same thing. And I started thinking about the stability the Cardinals have had at the managerial position as compared to our arch rivals. And so I went back to 1980, basically when Whitey Herzog began. And I wanted to look at, and I looked at managers for both teams. Uh, First, I looked at like actual full-time managers and not like the ones who got the interim tag because, you know, a guy was like fired halfway through the season. Mm -hmm. And from 1980 on, the Cardinals have had five managers, right? And we can all name them pretty easily. Those would be uh, Whitey Herzog, Joe Torre, Tony La Russa, Mike Matheny, and Mike Schill. The Cubs have had 17. <laughs> 17 managers. Uh, and if you look at, if you take it further and actually include all the interim managers 
you know, include the interim managers in this sort of mix, then the Cardinals have had six. You know, they jump up from five to six because they, of course, had uh, Mike Jorgensen uh, soon after Joe Torre was fired in 1995. And, and Jorgensen mar- uh, managed 96 games, and then LaRusso was hired the next year, and that was that. The Cubs have had 23 total managers, <laughs> if you're counting interim managers since, since so 1980. Many. Yeah. And, you know, we all know like uh, their known managers like Jim Fry and Don Zimmer and Don Baylor and Lou Pinella, you know, Dusty, of course. But man, they have some great names of guys who, uh, you know, only managed a couple of games. Uh, we have Joe Altobelli. Do you, do you remember the Joe Altobelli era? <laughs> do I? Well, well, it lasted one game in 1991. Um, Okay. Also, our our friend, Renee Latchman, managed uh, one game for them in 2002. Uh, Frankie Lucchese uh, managed 25 games for them in 1987. Uh, He actually goes by Frank, but if your last name is Lucchese, I'm giving you the uh, Frankie. uh, (laughs) It just uh, is. It has to be. Yeah, and if, if you look him up on Wikipedia, he looks exactly like you would expect a Frankie Lucchese, uh to look like. Uh, who are some of the other fun ones here? Uh, Bruce Kim in 2002, uh, another interim manager. Uh, John Vukovic, uh, who I think is brother of, uh, I think I talked about a Vukovic once in uh, another mm, chart yeah. of the week at some time. Yeah, I need to start writing these down. I'm going to start like uh, repeating myself if I haven't already. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so for including all managers of all stripes, the Cubs have had 23 managers over the time that the Cardinals have had only six. And so being a Bears fan who has had to tolerate all of these uh, lousy quarterbacks, and you know, I'll be the first to concede that a good quarterback is probably a better thing to have than a very good manager uh, in baseball. That said, it's nice to be on the right side of stability for once. And, you know, I think... If you knew absolutely nothing about baseball, but you just happen to look at the number of managers the Cubs have had versus versus the number the Cardinals have had from 1980 on, and you are a person of medium to above medium intelligence, I think you could gather which team has been more successful in that time. Because, you know, usually stability breeds some sort of success, and that has certainly been the case for the Cardinals and their six managers since uh, 1980. And five managers total if we're not counting the Mike Jorgensen era, which I don't think we need to. Yeah, um, probably not one that is going to stand out. <laughs> no, but everyone go look up Frankie Lucchese and uh, uh, Joe Altobelli, uh, Joey Amafotano. Do you remember Joey Amafotano? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> he, managed it. he managed the Cubs in 1979 and then came back for his second stint in 1980 through 81. I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, it is a, quite a list. You can actually look it up on Wikipedia if you want to see the list of uh, so many great Cubs managers. It's just like walking, you know, uh, it's, it's like going back in time, like guys I'd forgotten about. Tom, Tom Treblehorn, like I totally forgot about him. Uh, Jim Asayan, like, yeah, this is fun stuff. So uh, I'm glad the Cardinals have not had to deal with all these guys. And uh, yeah, and I'm glad the Cardinals have won the NL Central. And I think I'll end it there. Uh, one more will be added to that that Cubs list. Yeah, the, yeah run, you, so. you are absolutely right. The number is about to go up to 24 for the Cubs, and hopefully it'll stay at six for a while with the Cardinals because I'm quite pleased with Mike Schultz first year. And I, 
actually hope uh, he wins uh, NL Manager of the Year, which is something actually, actually Joe Sheehan, who is a critic of the hiring of Mike Schilt, I guess as I was too, but Joe Sheehan was as well, but he advocated for him to win NL Manager of the Year in his latest newsletter. So that was kind of cool. I do think... And, and I mentioned this earlier about the Cardinals kind of being a flawed team. They weren't necessarily the team that went out and fixed a lot of their roster issues. And, and they had underperforming guys throughout the entire season, even if it depended on the moment who was underperforming. And I think to me, it always speaks to the quality of the manager when you can win anyway in that in that circumstance. So you deal with either adversity in losing a, a player or you deal with it in not necessarily having the most talent and um, finding a way to win anyway. So yeah, I think that the argument for Mike Schilt is pretty strong. Um, and I think the uh, the story is pretty clear <laughs> about the um, the difference in uh, the, the consistency between those two organizations. Oh. It's been, it's been a ride with Joe Madden and I'm a yeah. little surprised that it ended as quickly as it uh, did, but you know, I'm, I think I'm going to miss him a little bit. Uh, yeah. I, you know, he's, uh, he's a good, I think, I think, uh, Godars summed it up well, which is that he was a good villain. Yeah. He was a good uh, rival manager because yeah. you didn't, I mean, you were always a little annoyed by his antics, but mm-hmm. it also was interesting when it was happening to not your team. <laughs> I, I will also say, uh, yeah, uh, talking about manager of the year, uh, I don't put too much stock in that award. And I realized that when in 2015, I, I argued that Matheny should win it because I, I, mm. I honestly thought he should have won the award, but I also wanted him to get fired. <laughs> so. it's, it's an interesting dichotomy <laughs> yeah. of opinion uh, it, yeah it, it's a it's a complicated argument but uh, yeah, yeah. I, it, but, uh, <laughs> I can make it's it a conversation for another day yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right well that is the chirp of the week that is the first of hopefully multiple postseason chirps episodes make sure that you are Subscribe to the podcast or following on whatever your favorite platform is. Of course, you can follow us and continue the conversation on Twitter. I'm at Sarah Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. And like I said, we're planning stuff for Birds on the Black throughout the postseason, however long it lasts. So make sure that you are checking in there as you do with all of the coverage that I'm sure you will be just eating up as it comes along. And hopefully the Cardinals give us some fun things to talk about as this series goes on. So that'll do it for this episode. He's Alex. I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time.